Did you know that every major diaper company either financially or vocally supports abortion? If that appalls you and you're looking to support a baby brand that aligns with your pro-life, pro-family views, then every life is your solution. Every life firmly believes that regardless of where someone is from, what they look like, or whether they were planned or unplanned, every baby is a miracle from God worthy of love, protection, and celebration. Every Life offers high-performing, supremely soft, premium diapers and wipes delivered right to your doorstep. Their diapers are crafted without fragrances, dyes, lotions, latex, parabens, or phthalates. And you can feel good knowing that every purchase with Every Life contributes to changing lives through their support of pro-life organizations and pregnancy resource centers. Every Life is not just changing diapers, they're changing lives. Visit everylife.com to learn more. That's everylife.com. And don't forget to use promo code Duffy10 for an exclusive 10% discount on your first order today. Hey, everyone. Welcome to From the Kitchen Table. I'm Sean Duffy, along with my co-host for this podcast. She's my partner in life. She is Rachel Campos Duffy. You forgot the line. I'm your wife. Did I say you're my wife? No, you oh, didn't. She's also my wife, by the way. <laughs> as well. All right. Well, it's great to be back. Did I say you were my wife? You said you said I was your life, but not your wife. Oh, very well. She is all. There's been no friends. divorce. <laughs> still, still married. Still at the kitchen table, and um, we have a really interesting story. Um, I'm always interested in in anything surrounding, you know birth and life and um, and and fertility and all of these issues that are fascinating and infertility. All of these things are very fascinating subjects to me as a woman. Um, I was reading the Daily Mail. Um, you know, I love the Daily Mail. I do know you love the Daily I Mail. I love the Daily Mail. And I love when the Daily Mail does stories like this. Um, this is a story about a young woman uh, who was the child, like a child born of surrogacy who now as an adult is telling the world what that experience is like. And she has come out um, as an adult advocate against surrogacy based on her own life experience. So I thought it'd be really great to bring her in, kind of lay out her story and lay out her case for why she thinks surrogacy um, should be banned. She's advocating for a a worldwide ban of of surrogacy. Uh, So with no further ado, let me bring in Olivia, I'm going to say her name the French way, Morel. Um, Beautiful. Morel. Oh, I, I said it right? Oh, wow. So a, little, yes. a couple of years of, of French in high school, and it paid off in this interview. Yeah. Olivia, welcome. Um, it's wonderful to have you. Uh, let's just start first. Uh, right now, you are, you're a mother, you're married, and you have children yourself, correct? Yes, I am married. Uh, I've been married for eight years. I've been with my husband for 10 years, and we have three young children together. What are the ages? Five, four, and two. So they're oh, quite right. young. That is like, yes. that is <laughs> I know. You are in the swing of kids. She is a brave <laughs> woman. Um, and I'm, and I'm sure difficult. that this has in, yeah, it is. It's well, I don't know if you know, Olivia, Sean and I, uh, where are you coming to us from, by the way? Are you in Europe or are you in the States? Oh, I am. I'm in France. I'm actually living in the South you of are France. In France. Again. Yes, oh. I am. Oh, Sounds nice. <laughs> it, Wish we were. It, it, it sounds nice. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so Olivia is French, 
And um, she has three children. She's coming to us from Europe. Uh, Olivia, we live in New Jersey. My husband's from Wisconsin. We have nine kids. So we know wow. when we hear, I know, right? Um, from we've the done age, it, Olivia. We, we know exactly. When you say the ages, we've been there. We get it. Uh, we, our kids range from 24 to four years old. Um, That's my dream, why don't you just, actually. Uh, I hope, well, <laughs> it's, I, fun. it's awesome. I, I, I have nothing bad to say about it. It is amazing mm. to have um, that experience. Um, I just want to transfer it to the south of France. <laughs> 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 can we do that, Sean? <laughs> oh, yeah, you can, you can come. I don't have the space, but you could potentially come over and I can have it. <laughs> <over. laughs> we'll That's awesome. Of okay, so let's start from the beginning. How yes. did you find out? that you were a child born of surrogacy. Yeah, tell us your story. Uh, it's a long story, but to make it short, um, I always kind of knew that I didn't fit in with my family. Something was off all of my life. I just kind of like adoptees feel within their families. Just, we, I, something felt off. And um, I never really asked my parents. So that kind of gut feeling kept like getting bigger and bigger until I was 17, 18 years old, where I started uh, Googling the town where I was from because I was born in Louisville, Kentucky, actually. And um, so I Googled the town and I was like, okay, well, something had to have, had to have happened over there, um, even if it wasn't like an, a, an adoption agency or an IVF clinic or whatever. And I fell on surrogacy and there was a surrogacy agency that was in Kentucky at the time. And so it kind of just like clicked in and the puzzle pieces fit in together. And I just kept telling everyone that I was born from surrogacy from then on. And you didn't confirm uh, it with I, your parents? Absolutely not. I never confronted my parents. You have to understand that we have a huge loyalty conflict with our parents. It's kind of like we know we've been bought. There's a lot of money that was put into me. <laughs> um, I cost a lot of money to my parents. So I did. I felt like I couldn't tell them. I couldn't. I mean, I, I couldn't. It was impossible because... Uh, I was scared that they would take it badly. I was scared that they would reject mm. me. I was scared of being abandoned another time, a second time, actually. Uh, so I didn't confront them at all. And uh, I kept telling everyone around me that I was born from surrogacy. So my husband, my friends, my my med, my medical teams when I had my kids, whatever. Every, everyone was around me knew except my parents. And uh, one day my mother-in-law, so my husband's wife, bought me those DNA kits, you know, my, my heritage DNA kits. Your husband's and mother. I, you mean your husband's yeah, mother. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, my husband's mother, because she saw me. She saw me in really bad states, uh, in depression. She saw me struggle. She understood how badly I felt. And, uh, and yeah, so on, on my 30th birthday, she was like, okay, Olivia, well, here's the DNA test. Take it, see what happens. And I had no idea that it was going to come back with 0% of French in my blood. <laughs> That's the first thing. Mm. And the second thing is that it came back with a DNA match to a cousin of mine. Wow. So, yeah. And so and I messaged my and The cousin's from my, Kentucky? My cousin, no, is not from Kentucky. Um, okay. <laughs> actually, I, I actually have a bit of family um, on the East Coast, uh, but everywhere. Uh, but she, uh, so I messaged her and she confirmed that uh, she might know someone that uh, was used as a surrogate back in the day. And, uh, and she presented uh, my half-brother to me. 
And then I got presented to my half sisters and then my biological mother came and talked to me. So Olivia, explain this to me. So I just, so I understand surrogacy. I've understood that surrogacy can be uh, a male and a female who fertilize an egg and they find another woman to carry the child for them. That's one scenario. But is there mm-hmm. a different scenario where the the, yes. the the male can fertilize with the with the surrogate mother and then have have a child in, in that fashion? That, is- yes, that is called traditional surrogacy. That would be how I was born. So the okay. egg was the egg of my surrogate, and the sperm was the sperm of my father, and so it was fertilized and then put it into my surrogate mother, of course. Uh, So that's one scenario. The second scenario is called gestational surrogacy, where we use uh, uh, or the egg of the intended parent or the egg of a donor and the sperm of the uh, intended intended father or the sperm of a sperm donor that we fertilize and then we put into the surrogate. So those are the two scenarios, traditional surrogacy and gestational surrogacy. Fascinating. And so when when you you were you were how old when you finally met your uh your i guess your mother your biological mother i was 30 and i'm actually 32 so two years ago was that? so this is pretty Olivia, recent yeah, yeah. What was that like to meet mm. your biological mother and kind of i mean this that's, that's got to be a wild experience um someone who's um, a surrogate that child comes back and did you feel connection did you what was it like i mean it was it was uh, at the time I, it felt crazy at the time it felt crazy at the time I felt really emotional about it at the time I cried a lot, um, sending her cause I only met her via messenger, uh, Facebook messenger. I didn't meet her in real life because I mean, we're in, I'm in France, she's in America. So I didn't take a plane and go meet her. Um, but we had exchanges. I needed answers on how her pregnancy went, how my birth went, um, how our first separation went also, what her favorite color was. I needed answers to a lot of questions that were essential to me and um, that I didn't have. And so I was incapable of building myself as a, an adult without those questions answered. Um, yeah, and so, so once I had those questions answered, I felt a little bit more complete, but also sad because you kind of take a step back and you're like, okay, why, why me? Why, why sell me? Why keep your other children and sell me? And so I felt anger. I felt anger because I didn't understand why she would sell me. And then I felt pity, (laughs) you know, I just, I, and then Mm. I felt, I mean, and today I'm okay with it. I don't blame her. She, she said she wanted to give the gift of God and give uh, birth to um, uh, a child. And so that uh, an an infertile couple could have a family. Um, But, you know, there, there's always money in the, uh, in the equation. And I do believe that, Unfortunately, she needed the money and uh, and had me because, well, she had a paid check in the end. Right. It, um, when you when you came when you came to know her or, or whatever a bit of it that you do know about her, mm-hmm. um, it, I, I've seen stats that say like only two percent of surrogacies are done sort of altruistically with no money involved. The vast, yeah. vast, like over 90 some percent um, are 
because of money. Was she in a, a, is your understanding that she was in a financial um, situation that she she needed the money because that, that that brings up some moral issues that we're going to talk mm-hmm. we're going to unpack a little bit in this podcast she i can't speak for her i'm i mean i don't know exactly what her life was like but all i know is that she had four children she had a fifth one that she had lost uh unfortunately um prior to my birth uh and this little boy was two and a half years old, uh, and she was in a mental. Well, she was in in a very good mental health. You know, she was um, she was really sad. She was in how, how grieving. Would I put this? Yeah, she was grieving. Yeah, she was still she was still yeah. grieving her son. So she was in an, in a good position mentally wise, um, and financially wise. I do believe that she did she did need the money. She needed uh, money. Yes, I know that my brothers and sisters never. They never lacked of anything. They never lacked of food. They always had, I mean, they always went to school. They always had clothes, but they weren't the uh, family that had a lot of money. They didn't go on family trips, on vacation uh, and all of that. My parents, uh, when uh, they had me, when my biological mother was uh, pregnant, my parents offered them a vacation to Disney World. So, and that's kind of something that my brothers and sisters remember they remember that disney oh, trip that they, they took going to disney yeah they oh. remember going to disney because well because my parents offered those um that that possibility to, for them to go so yeah do, do you have there, there was money on the french do you have siblings on the french side of your family no i don't only child i'm an only child, only child. yes yeah okay. yeah, yeah so d- d- maybe i missed this did did have you had this conversation subsequently now with with your um, your French parents did have you talked to them about what happened have you gone because obviously you were you, you, you were kind of you, you thought you were uh, a child of surrogacy you mm-hmm. told friends but didn't talk to them but now that you've you're, you're very public about it you've you've met your biological mother have you talked to your parents about what happened I have not really talked about it to my parents no my mother had me sit down and told me like she finally, came out and told me that she wasn't my real mother, finally. However, we never really sat down and talked about why they did it, how they did it, how it went, how they went about doing it, how they found the agency. It never really happened because, unfortunately, we don't talk anymore because I came right. public about it. Yeah. So right. that's it's been painful. quite... Yeah, yeah, it's been painful, Yes. It's been really painful. painful. It's kind of like a second abandonment, to be honest. So, yeah. So, do they uh, have so many questions? I I know you said that you did talk to your biological mother about what the what the handoff was like. Um, What did she say? So she said, and this is uh, the the, this gets me every time. Um, So she said that. The first instance, the first moments of my life. Uh, so it was a, uh, a nurse that took me away. And, uh, you know, they take your baby, they clean the baby, and they usually put it back on you for skin to skin. And, um, well, for me, they didn't, of course. What they did is they, they took me away from my mother right at birth. They set me on the table. And she, what she said is that she remembers me as a little baby turning my head and looking at her straight into the eyes. And 
she knew that she couldn't take me in her arms because she felt as if she if she did, she wouldn't let me go. Um, sure. So after that, uh, she never held me. She, I never did skin to skin with her. Uh, I was directly put into my intended parents' hands. Uh, so that was a very difficult moment, I think, for her and for me, of course, as a baby, as a newborn. We'll be right back with much more after this. Since the 1970s, working class Americans and U.S. investors who saved wealth in dollars have seen the dollar lose over 80 percent of its purchasing power. In contrast, investors who diversified their cash into gold saw gold appreciate over 5,000 percent. For Americans who invested $50,000 in gold when America left the gold standard in the 70s, their gold is worth more than $2.5 million today. While gold carries no guarantees and past performance does not equal future results, investors who do their own research will see that gold's performance over this time span is what gold has consistently done in the face of eroding paper currencies. For over 15 years, St. Joseph Partners has built its business with a singular focus on helping investors diversify their wealth and protect their families in physical gold and silver you hold in your hand. Don't let your hard-earned savings go unhedged. Call St. Joseph Partners or go to our joint website, kitchengold.net, not .com. That is kitchengold.net and protect your wealth. Do you think, Olivia, that... So first of all, it's 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 fascinating to hear this whole thing because I, I am a very big proponent of adoption. Um, you know, yeah. women who don't want... I, I mean, I, 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 I know that women who choose to not abort and then have a baby and give it to somebody else, I, I think is one of the most selfless things you can do. And mm-hmm. so I'm very conflicted in this situation. And and I, I feel like so much compassion for what you went through. At the same time, I, I also can understand as a mother, your French mother's desire to have mm-hmm. a child, um, even through this. Do you think that part of your the pain that you're going through is that she wasn't honest with you about it is there is is there a way to tell a kid that is it better to hide it in the long run is it mm-hmm. i mean i know with adoption there's been you know decades of this discussion of you know do i tell someone and and the conclusion i think has been based on the on the people i know who have been adopted is that there's a, a mat- there's an age of maturity somewhere, you know, in the tweens and teens that you can, you know, tell tell a child. Some people say you should tell them right away, but there's an there's an understanding that not telling them is not the best way. That they they have a right to know that. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and what's your feeling on this with surrogacy? I think that breaking a bond between a mother and a child is what causes trauma, not the lies and not telling. Um, Interesting. Okay, my parents, of course, never told me because, I mean, they, they have their own, they have their reasons. Uh, they didn't tell me sure. because they had the perfect family. They thought everything was going perfectly well. They had the money. They had, I mean, they had the perfect lifestyle. They had, everything was perfect. So they didn't want to... They didn't want to destroy that by telling me and, you know, maybe I was going to reject them. They were scared. So I, I don't blame them at all for not telling me. I don't blame them for the lies. I actually don't blame them at all, to be honest. Um, even if we don't talk today, I still love them. Um, however, I do think it's the it's exactly with the same thing with adoptees. Even in the most 
loving and caring of families, we always have that trauma, that primal wound that we talk about uh, in with adoptees, the trauma of being separated with our mothers at birth. That is our, mm. that, that's the worst thing that can happen to a newborn. Um, we need them. We need our mothers. We, we, we long for them for nine months. We, we, we grow in their tummies. We, we smell them. We feel them. We, we hear them talk. And then once we're out of the womb, we're just separated and, we're, and this bond is broken. And that is the trauma. That is what causes the trauma. So even if they had told me, uh, I, I think that I would have developed, um, unfortunately mental health issues unfortunately maybe alcohol issues maybe whatever drug issues uh i have talked to other surrogate born children and uh we all fall to the same conclusion we all are against surrogacy and um we also have suffered from mental health issues all of us even if the other surrogate born children their parents had told them so i don't think it's the lie that caused my trauma and mm. my problems today yeah it's, it's much more it's it, it's it's it's, it's much more primal it's yeah. it's it's, a, it's biological so it, 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 there's so many moral issues that come up when when we use science to, mm -hmm. to do things like this and I, I think it takes a long time to figure out what truly are the implications and, and ramifications for um what you could argue is a, a beautiful science to allow a couple, you know, uh -huh. where the, 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 the wife can't have children, but the man can. And you're like, what a great option for us to have this little baby to bring into our home and to love and care for and, and nurture and raise as our own. But then you bring up the other side where it's something happens between um, the bond between a mother and a child and that separation is traumatic and traumatic yeah. from birth. Uh, I, I wonder if that same, that same feeling takes place even if it is a tr truly surrogate mother where it's the uh, it's the egg and sperm of 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 the parents mm -hmm. um implanted in a in a in a surrogate um mother if that same bond breaking takes place if you talk to anyone else that's had that scenario that have, have, yes. a, have, have that same kind of feelings Yes. And uh, what I can respond is that baby inside the womb doesn't care about biology. <laughs> he yes. doesn't. Yeah, he doesn't. He doesn't care. He's not like, OK, this this woman that's carrying me is not my mom. Uh, he, genetically, we're not linked. No, he's the, the baby instinctively will bond with the person that's carrying him. It's normal. It's instinctive. It's animal. It's it's that's what we're made for. Four, we're made to be with our mothers for the with the ones that carried us, with the ones that made us grow. Uh, I mean, for me, it's logical. I, I understand that for some people, it's sad not to have a family, not to. I mean, I I th I really think about people that are infertile, and I'm mm -hmm. I feel sorry for these women. I really do. But I do think that we forget that the children have to be in the center of the discussion, not the adults. We have to place yeah. the ch the children's needs before the adults' desires. And that's my point of view. Wow. I mean, it's, it's, um, it used to be that we thought that way. Uh, but actually, that idea of putting the needs of the child ahead of the desires of the adults is is truly a countercultural way of looking at any situation. Um, yes, because we've just become so separated 
um, uh, f- from these kinds of values, just culturally in so many ways. And, and so much of what moors those, that idea, that concept, um, in many ways, um, mm. is faith-based in, in, in some ways. It, it transcends science. It's, there's a spiritual thing we're talking about here in terms of that mm-hmm. spiritual connection. How has becoming a mother yourself informed your experience as a surrogate child? It has just gotten me more against surrogacy, <laughs> I guess, uh, because... Give me an example of something. I don't know if, the, if something happened during your pregnancy or in mm-hmm. the, well, did, in did, the did, hospital. Did, did, did you know when you had your first child, you knew you were a surrogate child at that point? Is that right? I knew inside of my heart. I didn't know. I didn't have the physical proof yet. I was yeah. pregnant of my I first met- child at 26. Okay, and I imagine that 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 moment you you mentioned the skin on skin right after birth, which we, we yeah. have nine kids. Mm-hmm. That's it's it's actually as a as a husband, um, it's really remarkable to mm-hmm. to actually sit by a bed and, and watch that moment where the baby comes on the mother's yeah. chest or breast. It's and um, I have to imagine even looking back and 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 seeing the experience that you had with your babies must also give some pain to go. I didn't, I didn't have that same experience with my, my own mother now. And with, you mm-hmm. know, with later knowledge after you've spoken with her. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I'll give you an example. I, when I was pregnant, my first child, uh, Eleanor, she, uh, when I went to the hospital, cause I wanted to home birth my, all my children. I was obsessed with mm-hmm. home birthing. I did not want hospitals. I think now I know why (laughs) I didn't want hospitals. Mm -hmm. I didn't want, uh, doctors over. I just, I wanted to be home with my husband. And of course there was a nurse, but I just wanted to be by myself and do this by myself. And, um, but I had to go and, uh, to a hospital and check in. That was, it had to be done legal wise. And, during our um, during my uh, appointments with the doctors, they would be like, "Oh well, do you have any um, diseases in your family?" And I'd be mm. like, "Well, on my father's side, I don't have anything, but on my mother's side, I don't know because I'm a surrogate-born child." And I, at that point in time, I didn't have physical proof, <laughs> so mm-hmm. it, it was really hard for me as a mother to say, to tell myself, like, what am I going to pass on to my children? What kind of diseases did my surrogate mother have? Did she have breast cancer? Did she have, I don't know, did she have a mental health condition? Did she have, and I didn't know what I was passing on to my child, to my girl, to my little baby girl. I had no idea. And I didn't know what 25% of her genes were. That it was, and, and I was scared. I was scared to death, to be honest. Um, Mm. and I think that's the moment in time where my mother-in-law started really picking up on how badly I felt about my situation and how I needed a DNA test to at least give answers to my, uh, my, um, ethnical background because I had no idea what half of my blood was. You know, it's just so interesting to me how you kind of knew, like, I just, again, mm. it, we were talking about just this spiritual connection, like who you had, I, I presume, wonderful parents that you, sounds like they, you know, tried to give you the best life they could, but you always felt what, like, like not connected to your mom, but you kind no. of had this idea that there was somebody else out there. I mean, I, can you help us understand that? 
it's really complicated to explain. And I guess a lot of people will not even believe me. Um, but thank God I have my best friend that can attest to it because she, I've known her since I was seven and she knows she's mm -hmm. seen me through all my phases yeah. and she's, she's heard me speak about it. My husband has been with me for 10 years, so he's been hearing about it. Um, so I have people to attest to what I've been saying, but huh. yeah, I've, I just, I never really fit in. I knew there was a difference. I saw my mother and I didn't have this connection with her. I can't, I, I grew up in a household where financially I lacked of nothing, nothing. I literally had everything I wanted. I went to the best schools. I had the best cars. I had the best clothes. I had everything was, I mean, financially speaking, I was covered, but emotionally speaking, I did lack of love. I have to, I have to admit, um, I didn't have that bond with my mother. I mean, that you might have, uh, <laughs> Rachel with your children, right. uh, that special right. bond you have with your children. Um, so that kind of, I started questioning myself when I was younger because of that. And my mother was also very, I'm very, she was old and she was really old. Mm. So we didn't have that connection. Yeah. Uh, in the household. So Olivia, obviously you've been, you've been speaking out your, you, yes. you share your story, um, which is pretty brave and bold. And so I guess it always begs the question, you're sharing your story publicly. Why are you, do you, is it to, is it to change public policy? Is it a message that maybe a, a, a couple that's thinking about surrogacy might hear your story and go, maybe we should dig deeper. We should, we should look at this and look at all the benefits, but also consequences of surrogacy. What's the mission in speaking out? Cause I, listen, I, I love that you're telling your story. It's, 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 it's not only fascinating, but it brings a different perspective to a, to a topic that most people mm -hmm. see as, um, or not everybody, some can see as wonderful. There's, there's a, there's a mm -hmm. really dark side to this as well, but what, what's, what's, what's driving the mission? Well, first of all, this mission has cost me a lot. I hope people understand that, that I'm speaking, yeah. but it's cost me a lot emotionally speaking. Um, and because I've lost my parents once again. So that's the first thing I want to say. Mm. So um, I'm talking today because, yes, I would like to change people's minds. I would like to show the negative sides of surrogacy. I want to show what people people, what surrogacy really is, because we portray surrogacy as something beautiful, incredible, the, uh, the answer to all of the infertility problems. Um, but there's a really dark side to it. And, uh, and, and we don't talk about it enough. Um, and eventually, well, I, I recently, um, have been part of the Casablanca Declaration. It's a group of people, uh, and I'm the spokesperson of this uh, group of people. Mm. Um, and we are uh, we want to create a uh, international convention to abolish surrogacy. So we're working towards that, uh, and that is why I'm talking today. That's my mission, actually. That's what I want yeah. to um, I want to achieve. I, I'm so happy that the way this conversation has gone, that we started um, talking about the child side of this, because I think it's the mm -hmm. most not un, underappreciated, uh, not talked about aspect of this. The dark, the, the other dark side um, that's probably more obvious is the fact that this uh, industry um, is built on the backs 
of poor women. And of there course. are and there are certain countries um, where, you know, poverty and opportunity are are particularly acute, um, where they have created laws um, that are very favorable to those purchasing the surrogacy and, and disfavor the surrogate mother. That's the preferred that's the preferred situation for a, a, a couple entering into an agreement to have a surrogate mother. They want to make sure the laws are on their side and protect mm-hmm. them, often at the expense of the poor woman um, who is carrying the child. So I've heard all kinds of stuff, um, Olivia. I've heard of cases yes. where, you know, the, the poor surrogate woman, you know, ends, uh, you know, in this third world country has twins, the surrogate, the, the parents, the the purchasing the surrogate children are ecstatic, except it turns out that one of the twins has Down syndrome or some other disease. Then they want you to abort the baby or they leave the poor woman, you know, with, with the, with the health concerns of the other child. There's all kinds of things that can go wrong. Uh, When you look at the, at the mother side of this, Mm -hmm. um, the surrogate mother side of this, um, what can you, what kind of information, I'm sure you're getting all kinds of information through your, your, um, your, your activism. activism. What can you mm-hmm. tell us? Well, that usually it's poor women that are preyed on. <laughs> that's the, that's the number yeah. one thing that we can say is that you will never see a rich woman caring for a poor woman. There are always, it's always poor women caring for rich women. And that's the, the, the problem is that these women, they're not doing it altruistically. There's always money in the game, unfortunately, mm-hmm. even in altruistic surrogacies that we, uh, I, I hate the word, there's nothing altruistic in surrogacy, right. but when in altruistic surrogacy, there's always um, an exchange of expenses. I mean, um, um, reimbursement of expenses, for example, your mortgage or your, your, um, your cell phone bills, your, your food, your, I don't know, whatever, everything's covered. So I guess what's better? get everything reimbursed or sleep under a bridge. I mean, mm-hmm. some, unfortunately right. <laughs> you'll have women preferring to be a surrogate and going through nine months of pregnancy, nine months of high risk pregnancy. I want to uh, say again, because uh, surrogate surrogacy pregnancies are uh, at higher risk than a normal preg- pregnancy. So Olivia, um, as- I served, yeah. nine, I served nine years in Congress, in the U.S. Congress, um, mm-hmm. and so I'm always fascinated by the, the, the legislative side of this, and, and uh, I guess, it, has your group or you personally had contact with <clears throat> uh, your French legislators to, to, to talk about what's happening and your push to outlaw uh, surrogacy? What, what, kind of, what, kind of, what kind of response have you had from governments and legislators in the work that you've done? Any? Uh, so in France, none. If you want to know, in France, it's illegal. Surrogacy is illegal. You can go and abroad and bring a child back. Okay, that that that's that's legal. Which I guess. is what but your parents sur- did. Yeah, exactly. That's what my parents did. Um, however, uh, I have not been approached by uh, any legislators in France, of course, because what in France, unfortunately, what's happening is that uh, media is so pro surrogacy that we are slowly. 
going towards the legalization of surrogacy in France. Mm. So legislators, they don't want to talk about it. They just, you know, they want votes. So <laughs> they're not going to talk about it. And if they have to legalize it to get votes, they will. Um, so in France, do you know, do you I have stats on. Do you know the stats on how many European countries just let's just take Europe? No, um, no, I don't. Illegal versus legal. Okay. No, I don't. I, I actually don't. And, and does your organization, okay, so you've talked about the, the emotional impact for you. Mm-hmm. What from your, you know, I'm sure you've talked to surrogate mothers and so forth mm-hmm. besides just your own. What happens to a woman when she makes that transaction? And, and I've, I've been on YouTube um, sort of watching some of these videos about the experiences of different women. A lot of these women, it's not just a one-off. They're doing, you know, multiple, and their husbands are becoming, so it's a really perverse thing. Like some of the husbands, it seems to me, were starting to depend on their wives mm-hmm. carrying other people's children multiple times. Um, it's it's sort of like, I, I don't know, I, I, it's, 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 I have to believe it has perverse impact even on the marriage, on the psychological impact of, of both of both the husband and the wife mm-hmm. who are doing the surrogacy. What can you tell us about that aspect? Well, I guess exactly what you've said. It's kind of, it's some women do it to pay off bills. Some women do it to pay off, uh, for example, um, I mean, they go to school, they need to go to med school, they have to pay off med school. Uh, Some people want to go to nursing school. So they do a surrogacy so they can go to nursing school. Um, Some do it as a literally like a a job, except it's not a job. Um, And their husbands depend on it. There's so many, it's just such a mess, <laughs> to be honest. It's such yes. a mess. Um, but I have a lot of surrogate mothers that have come to me and have said how how much they regret it, how much they, they're they saddened by the fact that they feel like they've abandoned a child. Um, we have, unfortunately, um, I mean, surrogacy is illegal in France, but I ha- we, ha- we have these women uh, giving birth to children and abandoning them. And so that they can be given to a family. So it's like it's a black market, black market like of surrogacy. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And I have a lot of women that have done it that way that come to me and are like, okay, I regret this. Surrogacy is a horrible thing and I'm going to fight for my ch- children. So there are a lot of cases in France that are going on um, so that the surrogate mother can recuperate her child. Uh, it's such a mess. It's such a mess. And well, you know, it is a mess. It's a it is. It's a big mess. Surrogacy is a huge mess. It's a huge ethical mess. That's the whole yeah. thing. Yeah. It's uh, for the women well, and the children. A, you're renting and, a womb. You're, you're commodifying something yes. that should be sacred, right? So we're we're literally. I mean, we're talking about human trafficking in in a way. You're buying yeah. children. You're selling children. You're renting a womb. You're. It, this, Yeah, and we're commodifying children and women and, yeah, placing women and children in the center of a contract, which is totally insane to me. Insane. I'm I'm fascinated by the fact that you, um, first of all, this Casablanca agreement is is so interesting, but I'm so fascinated by your TikTok account. Now, I can't. I can't see all your videos because a lot of them are in French. <laughs> I don't <laughs> understand are. all of it. A lot of them. Um, 
But I think it's such an interesting way. You know, I saw these YouTube videos that explained it and, and sort of gave me an inside view of what some of these third world country women go through um, and how it's becoming normalized, how the men are depending on it. Um, there's mm -hmm. just a lot of things. But your, your TikTok channel, what's been the what's been the response to your TikToks? How has that been um, a powerful tool for other people to, to get informed, but maybe even, you know, to go, wow, I, I didn't realize I was, this was where some of these feelings were going for. I didn't know other people had these, these experiences. Um, my TikTok account has been really powerful in the way that I have been able to change some people's minds. Um, actually, a lot of people have come to me and been like, okay, I didn't have an idea about surrogacy and now I'm against surrogacy because I never thought of the child in the equation. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so TikTok has been great for that. And it has been great also because I have been able to meet the people of the Casablanca Declaration. And so I can now um, use their tools to talk to a greater um a greater amount of audience. people, a greater yeah. audience. Yeah, exactly. Are the majority um, of the people in that agreement, um, the children, like a, a child of surrogacy or wh no. who, who makes up this agreement? Who is, who is, who are the people who are yeah. um, advocating for this? The, the Casablanca and Declaration are just, they're experts, psychologists, okay. doctors, uh, lawyers, uh, they're everyone, even MPs in some countries. Um, so we've got a lot of people on this, uh, on, on our side fighting for, against surrogacy and for the, uh, for a universal treaty, uh, for the abolish, for, to, to abolish surrogacy. Um, and, uh, and we are actually going to be in Rome. Uh, in April for a conference on the subject. Uh, it's going to be really, really Who, interesting. Who's hosting the conference? The, the Casablanca de Declaration. We are. The Declaration is doing yeah. it. Okay. Yeah. 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 We are. Uh, it's, uh, I mean, we chose Italy because Italy is the first country that is penalizing the use of surrogacy. So you cannot use surrogacy in Italy, and you cannot go somewhere else to use surrogacy. Uh, ah, and okay, so you can't, the they can't do what your parents did. Oh, exactly. Yes. Okay. They are the pioneers of the, uh, the, the what we want happening everywhere in the world. So that's going to be, yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be great. It's going to be great. We had the you, Pope you speaking... The Oh, the Pope, because the Pope has come out against it, correct? Yes, the Pope has come out against it, but I wrote to him a couple weeks ago um, asking him to make a statement against surrogacy because, I mean, his word is important. I'm an atheist. I don't believe. <laughs> I don't believe in God. I don't believe. Yeah. And I told him that actually in my letter. But I really wanted him to talk um, about it and for him to take a stance against surrogacy because normally the Catholic Church church is against it. And I know yeah. that a lot of Catholics and Christians use surrogacy. Um, and yeah. uh, a couple of weeks later, he responded in his speech. So I was actually pretty proud of myself. Right. Uh, and, uh, I, yeah, and I am too. I'm proud of you too. Yeah. <laughs> Do you feel like you're getting traction? I mean, that's an interesting, I mean, that's, that's a little bit of, we call it, we'd call that low hanging fruit because the, I mean, Jeez. he's the Pope, but the Pope is against it. Um, but do you feel like in more atheistic, you know, secular, mm -hmm. um, uh, 
places? Mm. Do you feel like this is getting traction, your, your point of view? Because yes. as the technology uh, is increasing, I mean, we just did a story, Olivia, on mm-hmm. um, artificial wombs. I, 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 and, 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 you know, this is going to be around. I mean, they, they've, they've had success with lambs up to four months. If we think surrogacy is bad. Wait yeah, wait till we have artificial, artificial wombs. And they say uh, that's going to happen in five, five, six years. It will, be, it will be ready. That technology will be, re- be ready, which is why I out. think um, – what you're talking about, the mm-hmm. child side of this, because I think people mm-hmm. have talked about, you know, the exploitative third world women side of that. That's so obvious, right? Mm-hmm. But your story to me is so powerful because we're about to enter into what we call a brave new world where we're, ha- we're going to have artificial wombs. They're going to use infertility and premature babies at all, all to sort of you know, open the door and, and, and use that wedge of compassion that we all have for those situations. And I think it's going to be, um, I mean, we're entering into a transhuman <laughs> phase oh, and yeah. you were the sort of the, the first start of this. Uh, no, we're going, we're going into a, a crazy phase where we are going to create a series of m- mentally ill children. If we yes. do that, I'm going to tell you because what happens in the womb is so important. And uh, I mean, it's the beginning of life. It's the beginning of everything. And if we dehumanize it, how are we going to create normal human beings? I, I just, I can't wrap my head around it. I, I, I just can't. Yes. <laughs> I, I mean, listen, just, what you just said is so <laughs> profound. And frankly, only this is why I, I really encourage you with your TikTok um, and with everything that you're doing. I want you to know, I mean, we're we're clear across the world mm-hmm. and I could say what you're saying, but I don't have the moral authority that you have from having experienced it and having made really tremendous personal sacrifices in doing so. Um and I, I think the fact that you are an atheist um, and don't believe actually bolsters your argument even more. I, I will say this as a theist. I, I'm a Catholic. Um, both Sean and I are practicing Catholics. That's why we have nine kids, by the way, Olivia. <laughs> well, that's um, great. No, you can have yeah. nine kids and, and not be Catholic. It's true. I mean. It's true. It's true. It's true. Um, but I, for, for us, the way I, I think of it in, in a spiritual sense, and I think we connect uh-huh. on that level. There's a spiritual level that we're connecting on, um, mm-hmm. Olivia, you and I. But but when I think about it in terms of my religion, I mean, if you believe that Jesus is God, as I do, that mm-hmm. that, that there is a God, and and how did he choose to 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 become a human? He could have just, you know, he could have just appeared as a grown man, as a king, as whatever. Mm-hmm. He chose to incarnate himself. Um, in the womb of a woman. And so for us as Catholics, there's something very spiritual. Um, and, I, and I love the way you phrase that. There's something very special that's happening in the womb. So much so that if you're a theist like I am, it, that our own God chose to enter into the world through a womb, through a woman. And we are on the verge of severing this. Um, I think, again, what you did is the beginning, but we are moving into artificial wombs and this transhumanism. And uh, boy, you are um, you are such a necessary and profound voice in this um, in this in this in this new battle. 
We are. We the problem with um with those new wombs, new artificial wombs, is that well, it's not really my subject because it's. I mean, I, I really talk about surrogacy, but it is linked because yeah, it, it just exactly. I mean, it just it, it's it deprives the child of all the fundamental bonds that are that that's that are forged during pregnancy the those the, we we begin in the womb of our mothers we we need mm -hmm. to hear the voices we need to feel her the emotions we need to uh we need to eat what she's eating we need to you know we need to taste we mm -hmm. need to those are fundamental there's it's just for me it's it's normal so to think mm -hmm. that little baby human beings are going to be created in artificial wombs is the end of humanity to me, <laughs> literally. Have you seen the pictures? Olivia, have you no, seen the pictures of the baby? No, I have not. No, no. And you know, I, and it's, I it's honestly... Worth, <laughs> you may not want to see it, but I, I, we, we have seen them. And yeah. you see, it, it, it's a, it's like a vacuum bag. They're bizarre. And the little lamb is in there, and you can see through. It's, imagine like a, a Ziploc vacuum, vacuumed, clear plastic. So you see the you see the little baby lamb through it. Its heart is beating. Um, it looks like it's vacuum sealed inside of a plastic bag. And the, the lamb has survived four months. They say that again. The technology says. By, by 2030, it'll be ready for humans. And you can be sure that I, I suspect it's probably already happening with humans in China. Um, but so this is a huge yeah. moral, ethical, bioethics issue. Um, but I think it starts with, with, with surrogacy because once we, we've, we normalize that and remove the experience of the child from mm -hmm. the debate, um, it, it's just, it, it, there's no reason not to have an artificial womb. So you yeah. are on, whether you like it or not, <laughs> Olivia, <laughs> you are at the, the tip of the spear of, I think, um, uh, really stopping transhumanism. We need to stop it. We do need to stop it. And we need to start thinking a little bit more, a lot more about the child's perspective. Um, and some might say that some surrogate born children are okay and they live well and whatever. But I do believe that it's, we need to hear also the children that have suffered from it. Um, and we yeah. need to uh, go back to basics uh, and <laughs> to not break the bond between a mother and a child at birth. That is, that is yeah. for me, what is the most important. So, so well said, Olivia. Um, listen, I, we are, we are fascinated with your story and I would agree with uh, Rachel, the point that, uh, it's, it's, it's social media. There's a lot of ills that come from it. We see that with our own kids. Yes. But the beauty of social media, where you're able to tell a story like this, and it reaches all different corners of mm. of the earth, where you're able to share your experience, um, goes to the power of of people coming together to go. I want to know more. I want to know the truth. I want to know the good, the bad, and the ugly. Mm -hmm. And when we when we look at the whole picture, the whole mosaic of issues, we do as a society come with with uh with up with better decisions and so often there's just one viewpoint that's presented and you have done a wonderful job of presenting the other side of what it's like to be a child of this and i'm grateful uh for your work and coming on our podcast from the kitchen table and sharing your experience um which obviously it may, maybe it gets easier over time but listening to your story obviously there's a there's a lot of pain around it um and there is a lot of hurt for speaking out and we're grateful that you would share that with us um because we can't imagine it's easy. 
Yeah, yeah Olivia, thanks so much. It's difficult, <laughs> but it's okay. Yeah. But by the way, Olivia, as you're doing the podcast, I could hear your kids in the background. I, I feel know. you feel right at home. Yeah. That happens <laughs> yeah. to us all the time. Like kids are screaming or yelling. Someone's coming yeah. in. So I'm like, wow, Olivia, you feel right yeah, at home. Yeah, my two-year-old <laughs> is is in his no phase in the, you know, the what we call the terrible two, but he's just, in, you know, he's he's a kid. So yeah, he's been screaming well, in, the, in the background. Sorry for that. We love it. Yeah, no, it's music right. to our ears. Um, you sound like a wonderful woman, a wonderful mother. Um, Thank you for sharing your story. Um, thank, thank you for you having for, me. Yeah, and thanks for lifting the stigma, helping to lift that stigma away from mm -hmm. people who oppose surrogacy. There, I think a lot of them are being smeared as not compassionate and, and so forth. I think your story is is the best story for, for, for lifting that stigma um, around those who are fighting against fighting for a ban on surrogacy. Mm -hmm. So thank you for joining us. Um, amazing thank story. You thank me. you for having me. Grateful, Olivia. Thank you. you. Got it. Thank Thanks. You. We'll have more of this conversation after this. Did you know that every major diaper company either financially or vocally supports abortion? If that appalls you and you're looking to support a baby brand that aligns with your pro-life, pro-family views, then every life is your solution. Every life firmly believes that regardless of where someone is from, what they look like, or whether they were planned or unplanned, every baby is a miracle from God worthy of love, protection, and celebration. Every Life offers high-performing, supremely soft, premium diapers and wipes delivered right to your doorstep. Their diapers are crafted without fragrances, dyes, lotions, latex, parabens, or phthalates. And you can feel good knowing that every purchase with Every Life contributes to changing lives through their support of pro-life organizations and pregnancy resource centers. Every Life is not just changing diapers, they're changing lives. Visit everylife.com to learn more. That's everylife.com. And don't forget to use promo code Duffy10 for an exclusive 10% discount on your first order today. So as we talk about our kitchen table, I, again, I mention this frequently, but sometimes Rachel just comes up with topics and she tells me them over coffee. And this topic um, with, with the video, I, I just I really thought it was fascinating. Because it's it's something that I, I I know people do I I, I know that it, what do you mean with the video with her videos oh with, with her or with, TikTok, with videos. TikTok videos yes videos. yes yeah. yes I'm sorry and so but it's there is a lot of people who are doing it and at first blush I would say this is wonderful that a couple is able to have the joy of a child mm -hmm. and a, the joy of their own child when they weren't able to do it themselves. Right, and I love kids. I love that people want to have kids. They want to have a family, and that desire is primal. I think, and if you can't do it, I know it's incredibly painful um, when when you have uh, trouble in a marriage with fertility. And here, there's science that allows people to actually have that family. And at first blush, it can feel you know like this is a wonderful thing. You know, obviously, as Catholics, we, we dive into a whole other set of ethical issues um, with, with, with fertilized eggs and the selection process. But this brings it to a whole new level of what does it mean for the child? What pain and anguish does the child go through um, who is a product of surrogacy? And I never thought about that. I would have never thought that would become such mm -hmm. an issue and that there's a whole group. Um, the Casablanca um, uh, declaration that have come together to go this, that there is, there are problems with it. And I, you mentioned, I, I love that she's bringing this to the public. 
I love that she's mm-hmm. sharing her story. Um, because again, I think better information, being more informed, if you're considering surrogacy, is really important. So you go into it with wide, eyes wide open. You, you, you know what you're doing. You know the consequences and potential ramifications from it. Yeah, I think it's so hard. I mean, I think, you know, I, I even think about our parents. I mean, they probably feel like, oh, she's so ungrateful. We did all this stuff for her and we, you we know, her we wanted her. And yeah. Um, but again, these are, there used to be, we used to have um, sort of ethical guardrails um, around science and they just keep getting, you know, pushed and pushed and pushed and, um, and, 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 and there's always been scientists who've wanted to do sort of Frankenstein type, you know, experiments on, even fetal, you know, even, even with fetal stem, stem cell research. Right. And they, like, well, and the they always justify it. it. You're right. They here. always find a way to justify it. And there's all, and they always try and find that little piece that tugs at your heart, but we keep pushing the boundaries and pushing the boundaries. So we go from, you know, IVF to surrogacy to, to this, to that, to that. And now here we are um, just, you know, half a decade away from uh, artificial wombs and literally erasing, um, er- erasing women and their purpose and, and, and breaking that bond um, between what it, you know, between a mother and a child. But, but just as importantly, what she said, she said, I think we're going, really struck me, Sean. She says, I think if we move into artificial wombs, we're going to have a whole generation of really mentally um, traumatized children. Yes. Yes. Um, and literally, I think in some ways, we are fundamentally changing what it, the experience of being human. Because the experience of being human starts in the womb between that bond. And the, the way we learn to be human is in the context of a family and it starts in the womb. And so, it, it's, that's a really good point. So to be human is to bond with people. And if you don't bond with people and if you don't know how to bond with people, you're like a Ted Kaczynski. Like you, you like something happens where. Um, so clearly she did learn because no, she does have kids well, and no, no, lots of adopted no, kids no, can no, do that. No, this is more about the, this is not about her. This is you're talking about, about the artificial, the artificial, uh, the artificial womb the, thing. The, that that yes. bonding begins at cellular right. formation, at fertilization. Yes. The bond between the baby and the mother is very real. Yeah. Um, and it grows, and the baby in, the, in that bond becomes a lifelong mission where it bonds with, with their, whether it's their spouse, their own children, their friends, their colleagues, their coworkers, that whole their community. All those things happen by by bonding, being being relational, and you lose that um, if you go into the artificial womb. Um, I, I think it's. Um, Interesting to look at her story, and, I, and I, maybe I should have asked her this. Uh, obviously, she's had some issues with the parents. Mm-hmm. There's, there's, there's been some conflict, and she's thought and felt for a while that she was a product of surrogacy. And I, it, we're, we're talking about her experience, but I wonder about the experience of of her f- French mother. Yeah, I know. I thought I, I thought about who that. Who couldn't have a baby? Yeah. Um, and they made this choice, and they had her with a family, a woman out of out of Kentucky, and then you know Olivia comes, you know, back to France, and maybe there was some mental um, issues that happened with her, the mom who raised her, that this was a this some was psychological well, trauma. She's a product of, of this woman's father or her husband, 
and this woman in um, in Kentucky and what that must have done for her. And maybe because she had issues with it, that created a separation between Olivia and her her French yeah, mom. She has All no, kinds of she has no biological connection to her her mother in France. But I thought I thought it was interesting when she talked about even those who who it's the it's the it's the wife's egg and the husband's sperm yeah. and they just implant they rent a womb if you will and plant and plant it that even though she she's through her through her work has met people like that and they also are struggling and so we're just we're introducing things that um, we don't know what the long-term impacts are we're really focused on as she said the desires of the adults um, which many of them we can have a lot of compassion um, and we should have compassion for what those desires are but they should never supersede um, the interests of the child and so I think that's that's what her message is um, it seems like it's bolstered by her own experience of becoming a mother herself. And um, so so anyway, right. I thought it was a fascinating story. Lots to think about. Well, this, um, that, that's it. It makes you think. It, makes you it's, think it leaves you thinking. And it's, and it's a topic that we don't think about often. No. But it, it's, it challenges you to think about morality and ethics, but also the human desire to, to have a child. Yeah. Um, and it gets this gets very complicated very quickly, and I'm happy that she was willing to tell her story and her side of what impact it had on her. Um, you don't so, normally get to hear that side. No. You usually hear the other side. You either hear again like some of these exploitative stories of what happens to the surrogate moms, or you hear the happy stories about the couple who had had the child. Rarely do we hear from the children themselves in so many of these different arrangements that we hear about these days. And so that yeah, is the, what's so fascinating. And, and so we hear her story, the story of a, of a child. I can't imagine the stories that come from the actual surrogate mothers and some of the problems that they've been faced with, yeah. whether it's a forced a abortion or it's, you know, we have twins, like you mentioned, and, you know, the, 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 the couple will take the healthy uh, twin and leave the unhealthy twin with the surrogate mother. All kinds of issues arise. Um, yeah, can I tell you there was a, one that I just read about? It was a it was a gay couple, and they had a surrogate, and it turned and and they had um, some sort of I guess they try and during these agreements they try to anticipate the things that could go wrong. Well, it turns out that this child um, they could tell in utero that the child was going to have um, disabilities. And so the the couple, the gay couple said, well, we want her to abort because we don't want this child. And the surrogate mother said, well, no, no, I'm not going to abort. I'll take the child. And because the sperm was one of the, the gay couple's sperm, he, they said, no, we, we want you. We, you have to abort because we don't want our DNA out there. And so there's a big de debate about what, what was, I, I honestly don't know how it's, it all ended, but just that that was, you know, it, it, that that was even in the universe of, of a conversation um, was so crazy. And you realize it, you can have all these agreements, but in the end, you can't anticipate all the different things that can go wrong and everything that can happen that keeps normalizing and, 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 and sort of breaking down yet another bioethic 
guardrail that we had in our system. And I think we're getting to a point in this, you know, new brave new world that we're living in. And also because I think there are people across the globe, especially in China and other parts who, who don't even even have to pretend like they have these um, ethical guardrails because they don't, because they don't. And, 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 and here we are. You and know, it, it's it makes, crazy. It makes me think it's, um, uh, we, we have a lot of frustration with the Pope. Um, we've been vocal about our frustration. with. Yeah. The Pope. He's not my favorite Pope. He's not no, my fave. No, he's not my fave. He's not my fave either. <laughs> and a lot of evangelicals, other Christians have problems with the Pope and so do, so do we. We get you. Um, but it's interesting. So I'm setting that, I'm setting the Pope aside for a second. So hear me out, set the Pope aside. Mm-hmm. But the Catholic Church has been at the forefront yeah. of, of these ethical human debates, these moral debates, um, and, and one of the greatest organizations to push back um, yeah. on the brave new world. Where is this going to take us? And what? But they were, they were talking about some of the ethical, legal, moral problems that, that we weren't even thinking about until they arose. They were actually talking about it and thinking about it first. And I'm grateful for the Catholic Church for that. Oh my gosh, 2000 years of history um, to say, you know what, we are are going to lead. And it's harder for um, uh, the the other churches to actually do it like the Catholic Church does. Yes, Um, so so can I explain what the Catholic Church does? Because actually, Sean, you and I knew one of the greatest bioethicists, um, Bishop Morlino. Um, he passed away. Bishop Morlino of Madison was one of them. Um, so what the church the does, yeah. uh, by the way, he was a fabulous cook. He was, he was an amazing cook, cook um, this Bishop Morlino. But he was a bioethicist. And our and the Catholic Church, you know, there's a lot of criticism in the Catholic Church. And I, I get in line, um, especially lately, criticizing a lot of things that, that have gone wrong in the Catholic Church these days. And a lot of things they've been getting wrong. And a lot of things that they have been getting wrong. But I will say that one of the things that they that they do, I think, to the service of the entire Christian world, is that they invest in, um, in priests who are highly educated. I mean, we are talking about um, the most esteemed um, amazing uh, education that these um, priests have, and and they and and they are they dedicate their lives to studying um, the uh, bioethics, the science. Yeah. the science and the ethics and the morality, and, um, and 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 truly, as you said, Sean, you know, if you're if you're, you, there are so many wonderful small town pastors here. They don't have the um, the depth, the knowledge. Well, well, well no, what I was going to say is they don't even have the infrastructure and the resources to invest in someone to just dedicate their entire well, life right, to right, looking right. at the, the ethics, uh, you know, in, in different types of scientific advancements. And the Catholic Church does and has been doing this for centuries, and they continue to do that. And, um, and, 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 and frankly, one of, the, one of the things that has been the saddest part in seeing the... Um, the reputation of the church tarnished lately is that this kind of good work um, and this kind of stuff that it's doing somehow ends up being damaged as the reputation of the church gets damaged. But I will say this is incredible work. Kudos to the Catholic Church. They have always been at the forefront of bioethics and 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 taking that stand. And you can see even, even a Marxist liberal pope like Pope Francis, who has disappointed us in so many ways, when it comes to really, truly fundamental things like life, like abortion, like surrogacy, on many of these things, he, um, gets, it right. he gets it right because, kind of. because it's, it's so foundational. You know, you're just not even Catholic if, 
if you're against this stuff. So the church continues to stand on that. And and there are many of these people like Bishop Mar- Morlino, uh, so, um, who so, sadly so, passed so, away. He did pass away. But just this is a, a kudos to the church. But Bishop Morlino was a bioethicist. And in Madison, Wisconsin, they were doing uh, at the University of research Wisconsin, off Madison. of aborted fetuses. And they were at the forefront, which is why they said... Say that again, because I jumped on you. I'm sorry about that. So, so are, he was at he, he was based for, in Madison. So the University of Wisconsin-Madison was at the forefront of re, stem cell research using aborted fetuses. And so he was, Bishop Marlino was a bright, shining star, but also really smart, one of the smartest guys in this space. Yeah. And so anyone in the country, they could send him. They said, no, we are going to send him to Madison, Wisconsin. He's going to be the church's antidote to these unethical experiments, procedures, um, and science. And again, again he was point, close to where so much of this experimentation right was happening. Right across the street from where Right it was across happening. the street. And he was able to weigh in and see what they were doing. And also, hopefully, through the work that he was doing on campus, as, as he, he, he was the head of the church that was there on campus, the Catholic church, was hopefully able to reach many of these kids who are getting into the science. I mean, again, you can't have ethical science advancements and science and do it ethically if the people entering aren't ethical and moral and grounded. And so it's like input in, input out, you know, out, out. I mean, so this is why, Sean, you know, when you talk about the only thing I can influence is my family. Boy, I mean, it doesn't matter if your kid's going to turn out to be a filmmaker or a doctor or a scientist or a lawyer. The point is at the home, and this really brings this full circle, at the family level, um, we need to raise children who are deeply rooted in, 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 in morality and goodness and hopefully faith. And that, again, will allow them to make these kinds of calls when they enter into their profession. And just because you can do something scientifically doesn't, doesn't mean, mean you that should. you should. Right. And we need people out there thinking through on this. And again, and we also need firsthand experiences like Olivia Morel. Olivia Morel. You know, I should just move to the South of France, Sean. I think I have a leg up on this. I'm ready. I'm ready for this. She's, um, ready. She's willing and able. I, to listen, I'm. I, France. The, she, she, Fox, she complimented. Maybe Fox and Friends should do some shows off the from the south of France. France. I don't think that's our audience, but I will say <laughs> that's probably true. That's not ours. We're way more uh, Daytona Beach. We're way more Talladega. Uh, but I will tell you this: um, my couple years in French high school class paid off. She, it paid off. She said I had a great accent. Olivia Morel, and I'm just going to go with that. You listen. You go. Maybe with that. she was just being generous. Anyway, maybe maybe she was. <laughs> um, wonderful conversation. Yeah. Uh, thank you to Olivia, Rachel. Um, great pick on a topic. Thank you, honey. Um, I loved it. Uh, listen. Thanks for joining us at the kitchen table. If you like our really hot and heavy topics like surrogacy, yeah, <laughs> boy, which we actually love today, uh, you can rate, review, subscribe uh, to our podcast. You can always find us at foxnewspodcast.com. Please subscribe. Rich will tell you, you get a notice every time our podcast drops. We drop Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Friday's our Q&A, uh, which are a lot of fun. Uh, send in your questions, hopefully to Rachel. DM her on, on Twitter, on X. Yeah. Yeah, perfect. Awesome. Uh, listen, until next time, thanks, everybody. Have a good one. Bye. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to the show ad-free on the Amazon Music app.
Listen to the all-new Brett Bear podcast featuring Common Ground, in-depth talks with lawmakers from opposite sides of the aisle, along with all your Brett Bear favorites like his all-star panel and much more. Available now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.